HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday. As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone? Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said this is the best pile of meat I've ever had and then said, but if you added bacon. Tune in to this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Elena Santigade. And... Listeners, I am a workflow optimizer, (laughs) big time. You might not know that about me, but now you do. I've gone from bullet journaling to a fully digital desk and back again probably more times than I can count. I can talk for hours about my new favorite organization systems and apps for project management and life's many, many details. I consider myself a confidently humble person, but I'll come right out and say this. I get shit done in a major way. And whenever I come across other people who really get shit done, I'm dying to find out about their personal organizational tools. In the cheese industry, this isn't really a common conversation. So I'm extra excited to be talking about it on air today with my guest, Bree Hurd. Bree? <laughs> yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> that was free, little sneak peek. Brie Hurd is, to put it bluntly, at the top of the retail management game. She cut her teeth in cheese retail at the Concord Cheese Shop in Concord, Massachusetts, where she worked for eight years. And just over three years ago, she opened the Cheese Shop of Salem, a bustling specialty shop with a killer cheese selection, also in Massachusetts. Brie, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Why, thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay, so on the front end of things, your cheese selection is unique. And the cheese is in excellent shape. 
Your staff seems genuinely happy, and there's a very fun vibe to the shop. Listeners, it's definitely worth a trip. Your shop is pretty immaculate, and it's also bursting with great products, and you've resisted the prepared foods creep, which we could talk about perhaps. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about the behind-the-scenes organizing that you do. And as I know these elements don't magically develop on their own, there's stuff to talk about here. So, okay, let's start with your role as buyer. Okay. And tell me a little bit about how you organize that. <laughs> I know this is, we're going to start. Huge question. <laughs> we're going to start high level. Um, okay, when did you first start buying cheese for at the Concord shop? And how has your system evolved to what it is today? Okay, I started, I want to say 2011. Mm-hmm. Maybe late 2010. No, it must have been 2011. Okay. And um, it's a pretty old school system. Lots of pen and paper and not a lot of um, analytics, not a lot of software, not a lot of technology. Right. Like, didn't you not have a POS system at Concord? Is that true? No POS. I I actually, they still might not have POS. (laughs) OMG. I know. Can you believe it? No, it's, um, I think though that was a huge advantage Hmm. for me as like a platform for my training. I learned how to track certain decisions, how to track what inventory we had without relying so heavily on technology. Mm. And now to have POS, all of the, the analytics I can do now and the reports I can run just sort of amplify what strategies I already have in place. So amazing. Yeah. So like, Truly, my organizing with buying has a lot to do with, like, list making. I have a lot of tables that I've printed out, mm. set up with Excel that then I use throughout the year just to Almost track as, what I like, get. as templates in a way. Yeah, yeah. Like the pre-orders. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, listeners, the pre-order program is what sparked this whole idea. When Brie and I met in... I don't even know what year. 2012. Yes, uh, England. We were on a trip together in England, and somehow our pre-order programs came up for discussion. And Brie, I guess it was because we were visiting Neil's Yard Dairy, and you actually placed a pre-order, I think, while we were there. Yeah, probably. And she pulls out of her pocket this like <laughs> little piece of paper... <laughs> that basically like showed her entire year's worth of pre-orders in the the like the simplest and cleanest format I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I at the time had like a crazy overwhelming spreadsheet and I was like totally baffled. So listeners, here we are. I, I we're sitting here and Bree has now pulled out this I think this is the same sheet that I probably saw. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is essentially a one-page printout mm-hmm. of, of a spreadsheet mm-hmm. with dates along the top. Mm-hmm. Representing files. So each, each column along the top is a week mm-hmm. that I would order, a different order file. Right, so file, nomenclature-wise, file equals week, mm-hmm. week number of the year. Mm-hmm. So there's files, there's columns by file, and then on the horizontal line items, those are all the cheeses. Mm-hmm, yep. So on the left, I have all the cheeses. We're looking right now at the Neil's Yard Dairy pre-order sheet. And so what I do is at the beginning of every year, I set this table up. I go through the pre-order schedule that's been given to me by the distributor. Mm -hmm. I um, set everything up by date and reorganize it. Um, 
And I have one of these for every single year. So I can also easily look back at my history. Hmm. Um, but I have, I have it set up so that when the week comes along, I place the order by just saying I need one wheel of Berkswell or I need two Cornish Kern. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I, that's how I give my order. And then the next file that I'm going to order, I can easily see my order history all in the same spreadsheet. And the key is to do it consistently and to try never to skip a file, right. not to order in a way where you're stocking up, like order five Cornish Kern and then skip a bunch of files, because then you really can't see how 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 well you're moving through the Cornish Kern. Hmm. You can't see the frequency and the pace with which you, you need it. Um, so it's pretty interesting because I do think a lot of, I've seen a lot of examples of pre-order programs where people order a bunch of cheese sort of once and hope that it lasts. Mm-hmm. Or it's just, so the, the challenge with these pre-order programs is, let's, on the first one on this sheet, your order date is June 26th. Oh, well. Oh. Wait, it's really January. It's really January. Okay, the first on the whole sheet is January 9th is the order date, and then the receive date is February 15th. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time to project. It is. Neil's yard is a long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five to six weeks. So then the key, though, is this is one sheet for the year. It's two-sided. So each mm-hmm. each side of the sheet has six months of data. Mm-hmm. And I see that you've also brought folders to show of previous years. Yes, those are with me because I am at the point in the year now placing Christmas orders. So it's helpful to reference the, the spreadsheets from years past um, and then calculate for growth based on those order quantities. Hmm. Um, but the, the thing that I think what this accomplished before I had POS and before I could run a report and say, well, how much Spark and Hill Red Lester did we sell last fall, mm-hmm. which I could do now. Right. Um, this was a way of seeing visually at a single glance of a piece of paper, like how quickly we're moving through certain items. Hmm. And then the other thing it does, which is like, I think the most crucial element is that when you get to really essential and like high revenue times of year, like the holidays, right? you have such an accurate sense by looking back at your year's worth of history, how quickly you move through Keen's cheddar. And you can say, well, here I am ordering for Christmas. We're going to do in the two weeks leading up to Christmas, you know, let's just say six weeks worth of business compared to the rest of the year. So I need to up my volume Uh according to that. And once you have that multiple and you know what, what revenue to anticipate, you also, you can just based on your history, make a better estimation. Right. Amazing. And you can all... <laughs> it's funny because it's so it's amazing, but it's so simple. Like that's right. the brilliance of it. Like so many things in life. Right. This is not complicated or really like it's not high tech. It is like I print this one time. Hmm. I don't even use it. I could easily update this on my computer in the Excel document. Right. But I don't do that because part of the reason is because if I'm ever out and right. I'm not going to take this with me, if right. I'm not in the shop and I'm not going to take it with me and place the order myself. Mm-hmm. It also uh, empowers the team to be able to say, like, okay, Brie left me instructions. Mm. I'm going to place the pre-order in her absence today. Where's the folder for that? Got it, it doesn't, like, require a computer. This is also how we place, like, paper orders and measure how quickly we go through things like containers and p- paper bags. Now, is this how you place all of your orders for, for with all of your suppliers? Or is some stuff less, you know, in need of analysis and you're doing it 
sort of online or in a more ad hoc way? I think the reason this works so well for pre-orders is because they are pre. Right. Because it helps in terms of estimating weeks out where you're going to be, what you're going to need. Making those projections can be difficult and being able to see your year at a glance is so helpful. Right. Um, For things that are not pre-orders, I don't need that Mm -hmm. extra step. So Right. And, you know, listeners, the the other... A big part of why I wanted to talk about this today is because pre-orders, and I think, I know we ha- in our listener base we have a lot of industry folks, but we, <laughs> we also have cheese lovers at large, people who just want to geek out about cheese, and if you're still with us here, you <laughs> yeah. cheese lovers at large. we haven't bored you. <laughs> yes, if we haven't like completely confused you. Like, or even, you know, for the, for the new cheesemonger who isn't yet a buyer, mm-hmm. but who might aspire to be, I think... You know, the pre-order programs are what can make your selection truly unique, right? Yes, especially if you are not a shop doing your own importing, which so many are not. Right. It gives you an opportunity to bring in the cheeses that not everyone else has. And it's just such a crucial distinguishing factor when you're running a shop. And because a lot of them, not all of them for sure, but a lot of them, when we're talking about like French air, for example, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are more fragile, delicate cheeses. And you don't want those to be like aging in place on the shelf in a warehouse for a long time. It's great to order them in advance. If you can be confident in your projection, Mm -hmm. order them in advance and then they come through the pipeline, make like a pit stop, you know, in the warehouse. (laughs) A quick pit stop. (laughs) And then head straight to us and I can be more confident that they're in the point in their maturation that I'm Mm. looking for, that Mm. they haven't uh, gotten waylaid in the supply chain. Right. So it's sort of a twofold goal. It's like you're having a selection that's really unique and also you know you, you have much more of a sense of what shape your cheese is going to arrive in. Mm-hmm. and with for, certain, for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah. are exceptions, but yes, yes. for the most part. That, I think that's the advantage of the program. Right. And, yeah. and with some suppliers, you then probably develop a closer relationship with that whoever's exporting the cheese mm-hmm. in terms of what you're looking for like you, and, and how you know what shape the cheese is in when it leaves. Like, mm-hmm. Do you communicate more with your whoever's on the other end of these pre-orders than even your, like, local supplier, would you say? Um, Well, Neil's Yard is the best example of that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that I communicate with them more than my local distributor, but we communicate very regularly. I Mm -hmm. mean, I I certainly... More than I am talking to any other exporter of product, that's for sure. And I can just say, you know, what do you think of this right now? What are your most recent notes on the the profile of this batch of, Mm. you know, Stilton or whatever? And that is really helpful. I've I've encountered moments where I I think I know what I want and and someone will be like, (laughs) actually, they're just, you know go for it next file. And I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Like we have such a good sense of trust and like a great rapport. And I think there's also something really fun about talking to the person who's on like the other side of the ocean doing it, you know, because, Mm -hmm. um, because especially in a small independent shop like ours, I mean, the chance to travel abroad and visit these places is really special and not something that everyone is lucky enough to experience and to get to talk to somebody who just tasted that cheese which you're going to have potentially in six weeks and hear what they thought of it and whether they'd recommend it and oh we went to the farm and we you know we we talked with Jamie Montgomery I mean that's important it connects you to the origin of the cheese itself and I think that breathes life into the product 
for the retailer once totally, it arrives. Totally. So then here's a question. How does that translate to your training of the staff? Like when you're bringing pre-orders in, how, how much are the staff aware of what's coming in and how do you prep them for the unusual stuff or the nuances of what you're bringing in? Hmm. I mean, we are pretty, because as I said, this is like a physical document and not something that lives in a digital form, you know, out of reach from our staff. Mm -hmm. I think if someone is wondering like, when's the next time we're getting Applebee's Cheshire, either they or I can easily pull this sheet out and look for it. We don't, we don't do a lot of prep for pre-orders separately than any other product around like are you ready for the wackiness and weirdness of this cheese? (laughs) I think that is separate and more involved in like sales strategy. That's sort of built into your your (laughs) day-to-day in the shop. But it's so interesting. It's like almost like a democratizing of the buying. But I think, I think about that, especially with organization in mind. And I think like it is the better way to set an organization up for strength because if, if one person is the only person that can possibly do this certain job, right? then how, I mean, it doesn't really necessarily bode well for the future. Right. It, it sets up like a weakness where it's almost like if you're an athlete and you've got like a little bone fracture yeah. and you're ignoring it, you're like, it's, it's just like a weak point that could at some point explode a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we all, um, we all want to be involved in, in something bigger. Like that's, I mean, this is a bigger cultural, uh, conversation, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't love those. It doesn't make sense for me to be very like proprietary and secretive about the buying, about whether it's the methodology or the choices I'm making or why, because we have a whole team of mongers who are going to sell the product. I think they should be a part of that conversation. Mm. And I think whether it's about understanding my strategy for procuring the product Mm -hmm. or my thought process about why we should carry something. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are dialogues that I'm having with the team all the time. It's so, in my opinion, so necessary. I could not do a good job without all of them. Right. And when you think about what you need the team of cheesemongers to do, their understanding of the value and the effort that goes into not only making these cheeses and aging them, but then just getting them Mm -hmm. just deepens that whole like respect for the product and, Mm -hmm. you know, like the the value added component, Mm -hmm. you know, the more I feel like frontline staff understands that, the more they're going to sell it as a real, you know, such a special item. Yeah, it's so true. And and they are the ones selling it. Mm. So I feel like that has to be upheld and like protected and, and served. Hmm. Like you, if, if you are a monger and you're operating in just a little vacuum or a bubble without knowledge of either like how the product was made, what about it is special or really how on earth it got to you here, hmm. then you can only do it so much justice. Right. And it's inspirational and like stimulating and fascinating to learn about the supply chain and about the make process. I mean, all of that. And when you're a retailer, I think when you're in any part of the supply chain, you can just be so in it that you don't get the bigger perspective. Right. Like a tunnel vision factor. Yeah. But mongers are, you know, making minimum wage and on their feet all day and at the counter and selling cheese. And you, I think like the thing that is so much fun about that job beyond Mm. like sharing food with each other and just celebrating how like tasty and wonderful it is, is the opportunities to like visit a farm or hear about, you know, the trip that this cheese made and talk to somebody on the phone about like 
about how Kool-Aid is tasting right now. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and then to be able to see and hear about Jesus being made, like brings it to life so totally. much in a big way. Um, okay. We have to head to a break here in a moment, but oh. before we break, <laughs> I want to give our listeners, uh, some like sneak peeks into some of the cheeses you're excited about. If you're doing your holiday ordering right now, then, um, what are some cheeses you're excited about in your pre-order program for this year? Well, I'm very excited about Rush Creek. Oh, yes. That Always is a favorite. landing soon, <laughs> as is Black Betty. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, a couple weeks ago, got our first Wheel of Rogue River Blue back. Oh, beloved. Yeah, dreamy. Um, yeah, we have some great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are probably the most exciting. Those are the things that customers are asking for all year. Right. And finally, we're getting to the time of year where we can be like, yes, we have it. <laughs> like, actually, the answer is different this time. <laughs> finally. <laughs> and how often do you bring in a brand new cheese in a pre-order program? Uh, actually, these days, not as often. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any particular reason for that. Yeah. I think I'm just finding that I have more access to fun new things via the distributors that I'm mm-hmm. working with. And I'm really well served in this Massachusetts market. So mm-hmm. um, it's sort of a, an embarrassment of riches that I get to choose as often as I do from like great new products that are easy to get. Right. And I actually, it seems like that would be a lot easier like launching a new cheese in a pre-order program is tricky because the whole thing is based on knowing your history yeah. and uh sort of like building a pre-order program so it's it's sort of i could see a scenario where you almost launch something locally you know with a one-off from your distributor and then as you get to love it if there is an opportunity to do pre-order to get more consistent quality or a different flavor profile yeah see that. and even if it's not as complex as that i mean you're totally right but even one step back from that, if we try a new product and we love it and everyone loves it, but I've ordered it five weeks out, then we still, I'm like, okay, great. I'll get another one, but it's another five weeks, right. which is not anything prohibitive. It's just that is sort the of cumbersome a, nature right. of ordering in advance, but that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> okay. Listeners, we're going to take a quick break. Don't worry. There will be plenty more geeking out in the second half of the show as Bree and I continue the discussion of how to organize life behind the scenes at a cheese shop. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning Alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise in affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named World Champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and today I'm chatting with Bree Hurd, manager and buyer at the Cheese Shop of Salem. So, Bree, in the first half of the show, we talked, we got deep into uh, your system for buying, especially pre-orders. But I want to sort of take a step back and talk about how you systematize 
I'm not sure if that's a word. It is now. Okay, yeah, it should be. <laughs> um, how you take this sort of like ultimate like simplicity but very thoughtful approach to the other operations in the cheese shop. Because as we know, there's tons. I mean, it's a world of checklists. It's a world of forms. It's a world of process. So how do you take us through maybe one example of a process that involves tracking information and sharing it with the team? Something like catering could be something. Could yeah, be something. catering is a good one. Um, and at the Cheese Shop of Salem, you're doing, you're not doing catering like prepared foods catering. You're you're no. a cheese. You are doing the cheese. Yeah, we should call it platters. Yeah, so um, cheese, charcuterie platters. Yep, yep. Um, and we have totally jumped on that artful platter bandwagon. Yes, love the Instagram photos. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, which makes it really fun, actually, and I think I love it because I've been a cheesemonger for a long time. I've always loved it. They're, it's very multifaceted, mm-hmm. but it's not inherently creative as a job. Right, even though it's the, the final product is really creative. But it's with the cheesemaker. Oh, well, I mean, oh. like, as a monger. Oh, I see. I see. Four Just platters. The day-to-day monger. It's I'm not, slinging cheese at the counter. Yeah, it's wonderful in so many ways. It's rewarding and stimulating and hard work, but worth it. Like, mm-hmm. all of that. I could give a great pitch for be a cheesemonger, <laughs> but it's not inherently creative. And then the platter trend began, thanks to Lily. And <laughs> yeah, shout out to Lilith Spencer. You <laughs> yeah. did a crazy thing for the industry. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, this tidal wave. Um, and then I would be going into the shop at like early hours. I mean, for the holidays, it's like as early as like 4 a.m. Oh my gosh, cheesemaker hours. But it's so, it's also, like it's stressful because, you know, you have 20 platters to do in a day or something, but also it's like the shop is quiet and mm. it's peaceful and you mm. only have some lights on so it's sort of this like dim, sleepy version of like what later will be total you know, chaos. Yeah, a bustling, busy, <laughs> loud store with it's music not, playing and people chatting. Like and you're like communing with the cheese. Yeah, and then sometimes I'll platter in like full silence that's a verb now plattering Um, (laughs) to platter yes we platter in silence or with like you know I used to put on Beethoven and just be like alone in the store and sort of clear my head and do this creative (laughs) exercise and it was like a new it was like cheesemonger but like leveled up yeah because that was not something I ever did before but Mm. it was very like cathartic and peaceful Mm. Um, but yes, because the platters are so complex and because they are going to involve different cheeses every time so that we can offer you, you, the customer, what is tasting best right now. Right. Um, it is kind of a cumbersome order to take. Yeah. It's, it's always felt like a heavy lift to me. It's hard to explain. Well, it can be hard to Mm -hmm. explain to a customer you know, how to, they're like, do I get to pick all of the cheeses? Should I make those selections? You know, mm. how, how much agency do you give the customer? How much, how, how deep do you go in terms of what their preferences are? Right. And, and restrictions versus how much control do you retain as the retailer? Mm. And I, I think that's a tricky and fascinating subject in general, as far mm. as like consumer psychology, Totally. Because you want to give the you want to give the customer a sense of agency. You want to make sure that they feel taken care of, but also that they have the agency to make a choice. Yeah, and like what they're getting that they're getting what they want. 
They do, yeah. And I think customers don't want to feel like everything is being chosen for them, right. and, and nor should it be chosen for them. Right. But the choices don't have to be complex mm. or or like lengthy or require a whole lot of conversation. So right. for me, it was like we need to have some platter themes, mm. and then we need to have sizes. Right. <laughs> and even honestly, picking something as simple as do you want a small or a medium? It's like that endows the customer with this. Um, sense of agency yeah and so they select what they're looking for Mm -hmm. even if it's an extremely broad theme they say i would like a medium i would like a medium platter and i would like the theme to be the new englander and so we're going to put all new england products on the platter and they don't choose those products Uh but they still feel like they've made a selection they've made a selection and they know what to expect because expectations are big like they generally within that theme they know what's coming Yep, but it, we've also retained the ability to select for them mm-hmm. what things are tasting great that day. So you select it by day. So it's not. So now I'm starting to picture the process here. You've got like <laughs> your instructions for your staff, mm-hmm. but they actually don't say specific cheeses. Correct. Wow. And no platter is exactly alike. No two platters are exactly alike. Love it. So. So having described that, I think it's easier to see the ordering process, like taking an order, right. c- has, could be a really cumbersome, like kind of shifty, confusing yes. dialogue. Like how do you explain to a customer, like you don't get to choose anything pretty much, mm-hmm. um, but just trust us, promise we're going to give you <laughs> like a pretty tasty platter. Right. And so designing that form, the, the catering order form, right. so that it walks walks the monger through exactly what to say, mm-hmm. um, exactly how to give the customer confidence that what they're going to take home is going to be delicious. It's going to be exactly what they're looking for. It's going to involve a variety of cheeses, a variety right. of garnishes. I mean, those are questions we would get. Right. So let's be prepared for those. Right. Be proactive. Answer them before they're even asked. Yep. And then we ask, you know, is there anything that you don't like? Or is there anything that, of course, are there any allergies that we should be aware of? Right. Things like that. And sometimes people will say, we, ha- we, we can't stand nuts, or there's a nut right. allergy, or well, we hate olives. And so we know, okay, this one thing is off the table. Right. But we, we really don't eliminate entire categories of items. And then we have okay. basically the whole shop is our, our... Oh my gosh, this is so fun. It's so much fun. It's so much more fun than like... We, when someone orders the medium New Englander, we give them, we always give them these same three cheeses. Mm -hmm. And that's more of that, like, like you said before, being a cheesemonger is wonderful. It's a great existence, but not super creative. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this case, does the cheesemonger then, once they've taken this order, they just get to go around and essentially shop for the platter? Um, they, they don't do it right then. And the reason is because the selections should be made on the day we make the platter. Right, right. Okay. So if you take a platter order on Tuesday for Saturday pickup, mm-hmm. whichever monger is making the platter on that Saturday morning mm-hmm. makes all of those selections. Got it. And same for anything else that's going on the platter. And how do you do pricing in this case? Because cheeses can vary in a pretty big way. So how do you make sure that your platters are still, you know, keeping you in the blue the green the positive yeah what do people call it the not red yeah it is that the black i think ah the black (laughs) (laughs) i need more coffee i think i think anything but red is acceptable (laughs) yeah yeah the not red yeah um 
that was something that I fleshed out early on because I wanted us, I, I specifically wanted us to be able to make those selections on the day and not to have to be like pulling a calculator and making sure that everything on the platter was going to add up well. Right. Or feeling constrained or like yeah. tamping down that creative opportunity for the monger. Mm-hmm. So we have set prices mm-hmm. And I calculated it all so that there was baked in margin Mm -hmm. and that we wouldn't have to worry about that so much on the day. Um, And then we have set quantities of the various things that we're we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, obviously, being cheese. But if it's a a meat and cheese platter, it's like how much in weight and how many individual types of of Mm. meat or cheese are you trying to include so that there's enough variety and volume. Hmm. Yeah. So we just follow those like kind of standard measurements right and then the rest of it is is up up to us which is really fun and then also i think it it gives the monger a sense of like when kiri is making a platter and then somebody comes in a few days later after they've they've taken it home eaten it enjoyed it and they come in raving about it yeah and they are like, what was that soft cheese that you put on the platter? Mm-hmm. It's fun to be like, oh my gosh, I know. Yes, it was this Altalanga camembert that was tasting so good. Like the batch we had mm. last week was amazing. Mm. It's not just the generic thing that goes on any medium New Englander. Right. You know. Right. And in England, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so the other interesting thing about it is that in a way here, you're also training those catering customers to trust you more and your customers overall who I'm sure if someone's ordering a platter they've probably ordered cheese from you guys Mm -hmm. and training customers on the the varying character of a cheese Mm -hmm. is like the ultimate way to get customers to you know be excited about anything understand that the cheese isn't going to taste the same each time I feel Mm -hmm. like this also plays into that yeah I think it does and and I think it's a really nice way to introduce people to new things because mm. some of the the notes we'll take during uh, a platter order are, you know, we're, we're beginners or like this is just uh. this is a crowd of like newbies. So just don't do any don't put anything on there that's too adventurous. And okay. I mean, that that is a great piece of feedback for us to have or, or a note for us to take. Uh-huh. And we won't be too challenging. Right. But, you, you know, we can kind of gauge, like, what what are the good beginner cheeses? What are the crowd pleasers? Mm. And then what are, like, a couple of things that will be just one step up but that aren't going right. to put anybody over the edge? And then before you know it, you have that customer coming back in and saying that, like, it turns out they loved that right. blue or, right. you know, whatever it was changed, they were afraid of. Right. Changed my worldview. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. And so to bring this back to our sort of like organizational <laughs> tools I know, theme, we kind of got off on that. That's a good, that was a good <laughs> tangent to go on, but not even a tangent because what I'm hearing is all of this thoughtfulness and all of like your sort of commitment to fun and creativity in this area of the business specifically is built into this order form, it sounds like. Yeah, that is the idea. And I feel like systems and forms are a, certainly a way to control some of the madness. Mm-hmm. It's also a way to sort of... everyone. We all have different personalities and different like fears and vulnerabilities. I mean, not to get too meta, but it's like my personal thing is that I am 
really risk averse. I hate risk. <laughs> Me too. I hate it in my life. I'm like <laughs> such a safe, cautious person. It's like stupid. And I'm like, can I walk around with bubble wrap on me? Yeah, like, I'm so wedded to Excel because it lets me, like, measure and analyze, like, everything. Mm -hmm. I don't even do, like, basic math now. I just open Excel and, like, do (laughs) analytics. Excel is, like, an extension of your brain now? Yeah, it is. It is. It's my my database. Um, But so I, being somebody who's so (laughs) hates risk, I... I and and we have other people who are completely comfortable with risk mm. and who are not like shying away at all from like the variables that might be inherent in like a startup juice shop or right. even something as like small scale but complex as taking a platter order. Right. And so there is this necessity of like streamlining what we do so that we can all be doing the same thing together better. Yeah. And we understand how like our two different personalities or approaches mm-hmm. can merge. And then we're all speaking the same language. Right. Yeah. I think that makes things like simpler, more straightforward. And the nice thing is that when the systems are designed by us and you know, we're not a big corporation or a tiny right. shop. So I built that form. And if right. we are like, this form is not working, which actually happened recently with the catering form. Interesting. We what part like, wait, pause on this one. I'm <laughs> curious. So what part of it wasn't working and what did you do? What wasn't working was that we have some platters that include meat unless unless it has been explicitly taken off the table by the okay. customer and other platters where that's baked into the name whether it has meat or not so if you're getting cheese and charcuterie platter it's pretty There's probably going to be some meat there there is if you're <laughs> getting a new englander mm. does that include meat does it not in the menu and like on our website that's clear in like right. the full description of what that theme is. Right. On the form, it isn't. Interesting. So our, some members of our team were getting confused taking the order or were failing to ask the customer, just confirming, would you like meat included? So there was like this confusion moment when the monger then goes to build the platter. And at yeah. that point, the customer interaction is long past. Exactly. And the last thing you want to do is call yeah. and bother them again. But you do. You but do. you do. So we needed to revise the form. Mm. And we did. And that's a good example of something because it's so simple. Right. And it doesn't even take, it. Do, it's just like, no, right. it's, the point is the form needs to be so intuitive. Right. And so simplistic that it's like almost impossible to mess up. Yeah. And then you can do it in your sleep. Right. It makes it so that anyone on the staff, no matter what your experience level, right. no matter whether you're the one making the platter, right. no matter whether you've even seen a platter, like right. <laughs> you can probably take this order. Right. And then that means that it's not one point person who's responsible. Mm-hmm. It's a shared like collective responsibility. Right. And and it's easy to like pick up the baton if somebody needs to hand it off. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Wow. Oh, my mind is a little blown right oh, now. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, okay, so so final question here. I can't believe we're almost out of time. Oh, no, we could do this for like seven hours. We literally can. <laughs> we should. Um, we should, but listeners maybe will, will not make this a seven-hour episode. But, um, okay, you mentioned Excel. Sounds like that's your top tool. Mm-hmm. What are some other tools you use? And these could be digital or analog um, in your work life, organizing your personal life details, like, you know, at the top of the show, I, I boldly said, you are a fellow person that gets shit done. Mm-hmm. We are two people sitting here who get shit done. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what, what helps you do that? Well, 
Yes, we've talked about this so much. Just <laughs> both of us geeking out over optimizing our productivity. Yes, what's your workflow <laughs> like, Bree? And that is a phrase I say a lot. Which is uh, what I love, though, about talking to you about <laughs> this, is that we actually, each of us has employed really different methods. So yes. So we're not actually overlapping very often. So Agreed. we're just sharing great notes. My, like, number one to... Um, other yes, other than Excel, right. my number one two things or applications are the my calendar, mm-hmm. like my computer and phone calendar. So it's like the native calendar on your. Are you Apple operating De- system? Completely Apple. Yes, yes, me me too. So that calendar and the Reminders app, which is also Apple. That's also a native app, and that's different from the Notes app. Very very different. <laughs> Do not confuse the two. Bree is giving me quite the look. No, Reminders is such a game changer. Mm -hmm. For anyone who likes to make a list and then have the satisfaction of crossing things off or checking the box. There are few things in life more satisfying than crossing things off. Yes. I mean, I've been known to add things to a list that I've already done just so that I can cross them off. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Who hasn't, really? (laughs) A lot of people, actually. Okay, well, <laughs> this um, this app allows you to make the list, check it off. The item will disappear once you've checked it, but it will can reappear if you want to view the the hidden items. You could items. like view the log book, so to speak. I have the I have categories in my reminders app that are color coded to match the same categories in my calendar that are also color coded in the calendar. Yes. So, for example, anything having to do with work is yellow mm-hmm. like a golden color that is our cheese shop cheese. color <laughs> um so the list in reminders is yellow mm-hmm. matching all the yellow coded items in my cheese shop calendar okay social things are purple and so i can even have multiple lists which also really helps me because yeah because you can then compartmentalize your life a little bit which when you're running yeah when you're running a business that sort of never stops although i will say and this is maybe fodder for another show at some future date that the cheese shop of salem does actually stop one day a week to Yes. Yes. We are closed on Mondays. They are closed on Mondays, which is huge, and that's a totally separate discussion. But all <laughs> to say that uh, compartmentalizing your work-life areas is very important. Very important. And I think that's a big piece of not just, like, mental health. Surely it's mental health. Right. But also in terms of actually optimizing productivity, mm-hmm. I don't want to see, like the reminder to call my Nana in the same list as, you know, upload new products to our e-commerce website. Those are different categories and I need them to be differentiated, but I can't carry around like seven pads of paper. And I mean, so how do you do that? And the reminders app lets me do that. And then I've just totally geeked out and gone down the rabbit hole with the color coding. Yes. Listeners, I once saw the color coding and I still think about it. I think yes. about it a lot. I'm very, I think that's just so satisfying. My closet is color-coded at home. <laughs> Amazing. It's all like in one successive sort of rainbow in my oh. closet when you open the door. I also have a friend who does that with their books. Oh, yes. Fellow cheese woman, actually, Tess McNamara. Tess, oh, shout oh out God. to you. Hi, Tess. <laughs> Tess's books are color-coded in her home. Looks amazing. That's genius. I'm going to have to do that later mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, my goodness. Well, at the end of the show already, oh, 
Bree, thank you so much for giving me and our listeners a window into how you orchestrate things at the Cheese Shop of Salem and in life. I love the approach. I feel like there's a million more lessons to be learned from you, but maybe we'll have to uh, have a sequel show here. Yes, please. And anyone who wants to geek out over organization, you guys know who to call. (laughs) (laughs) There's two people you can call. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Have you heard? It's party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN's staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider, while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary, so whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.